Welcome everybody. My name is Herb and I'm an alcoholic. This is a gathering of people who are just interested in the topic that we'll be talking about today and that's sponsorship. Um, first I'd like to just get the comments from the retreat center that is sponsoring and administering all of these series, these monthly series. And um, so Melissa, would you tell us why you're doing that? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody. I see a lot of familiar faces, welcome back. And for those who I don't recognize, welcome to our Zoom workshop with Father Tom and Herb Kay. I just wanted to give you a brief history about our retreat center. We were established in 1963 by the daughters of Mary and Joseph. We were envisioned by the late sister Mary Ignatius. And we have hotel style like bedrooms here too, where our retreatants stay. So the bedrooms, if you ever get a chance to take a peek here, it kind of reminds me of uh, Lucy and Desi. Lucy's here, Desi's here. <laughs> but now we welcome all walks of life and we definitely welcome all of you here today. So Herb Kagan has been connected to the Mary Joseph Retreat Center for many years and he's truly part of our family. His 12-step and centering prayer groups have been extremely popular at the retreat center for decades. And now since the start of the pandemic, he has moved these popular offerings to Zoom. Herb's journey includes seven years in Claritian Seminary, a graduate education in psychology, 40 years in human resource consulting, certification as a spiritual director, 37 years of active participation in a 12-step fellowship, and the publication of three books, on spiritual awakening. We are delighted that he's donating the proceeds of these Zoom gatherings to our retreat center during this difficult time. Thank you so much, Herb. Melissa, thank you so much. The retreat center, as most of you know, has been very important to me personally and my family, certainly. Um, <clears throat> that's where my wife first recognized that she had a drinking problem and that there was a solution and she pursued that and the rest is history. <clears throat> I got caught in the draft. Um, Tom, would you give a two or three minutes of your sort of background and bio and perhaps what you'd like to accomplish today and then um, I'll take it from there. Uh, thank you, Herb. I'm Tom, I'm an alcoholic. I'm in great need of Al-Anon. Um, I live in Oakland, California. I've been here since 1981. I uh, I'm a member of the Jesuit community and a lot of us are teachers and we connect with schools. And my first uh, real honest job was uh, teaching high school kids in Los Angeles at Loyola High School. And I found that in my mid twenties in very active alcoholism, I was a very successful teacher. Uh, but that's the early stage, you know, before I got a little moodier. Um, did my, my theological studies at Berkeley. And during that time, um, the members of my community noticed that I was drowning in bourbon and I got intervened on and put into treatment in 1976, Herb. So I'm much more advanced in understanding than you. And, and uh, it's just, it's just uh, you know, we, it's, it's good we meet here in the Zoom world. Um, I, I uh, did social work, I, I've taught, um, I, what do I do? I find, um, I don't know how to get through the day without 
without the 12 steps and without the program of recovery. I heard my sponsor, um, Father Terry down there in Los Angeles, he was at a meeting a couple years ago for his birthday, like his 48th or 49th birthday in sobriety. And he simply said, I count on the 12 steps to breathe. And I, I, I like the, the simplicity of that and the validity of that. Left to my own devices, especially here in COVID world, I find I get despondent and isolated and I get overwhelmed by a lot of things. I woke up at two o'clock this morning, uh, wide awake, worrying about some things I, had, I could do absolutely nothing about. But I was enjoying the worry and the regret and the, oh, that delicious self-pity that is especially sweet at three in the morning. And I, what I knew is this will pass. Sleep will come again. Um, you're you're going to be okay. And, and then I kind of let go of that rather than grabbing onto it and running with it. I'm in my 75th year. Um, I had a lunch yesterday with a group of, of uh elderly gentleman that I went to high school with 50 plus years ago. And it was some wonderful fellows there. I think I was the only one who was sober, um, but I was probably the only one who had to be sober. And, and the others, we had a very lovely encounter. What else do I know? I'm glad to be here this weekend. I've, I've had the same sponsor for a very long time, um, but I've, I've talked to people, I'm sponsoring a few people, and I think it's a very uh, important thing to talk about. The word isn't necessarily mentioned a lot in the early literature, but it sure has developed as a lifesaver. Yeah. So, so that's what I know. And um, I have opinions on virtually everything, and I'll try to keep most of them out of the way. Um, Herb, back to you. Thanks so much, Tom. As you can tell, he's very experienced and he has a great sense of humor. And um, we've known each other uh, in, in our connections uh, very uh, for a long time. Um, I went to my 45th uh, high school reunion uh -huh. and uh, that was the last time I went back because they all got old. I mean, it was like, it was disgusting. <laughs> um, and Tom mentioned that he's a Jesuit, and that may not mean anything to you, but that's a particular order in the Catholic Church uh, of priests who are dedicated to a specific, a specific mission and, and charism. I call them the Green Berets mm. of the Catholic Church. They, <laughs> I have the highest esteem for them. And by the way, uh, Father uh, Don uh, Bill Wilson's own spiritual director was a Jesuit priest uh, in 1940. Ed Dowling met him. Ed Dowling was the Jesuit priest from St. Louis University. So there's some continuity here. And um, speaking of spo uh, sponsorship, he was Bill Wilson's spiritual sponsor for a, uh, about 20 years until he died in 1960. Mm -hmm. So let's begin then our talk about sponsorship. I'm going to put up a couple slides as I like to do. Um, you know, the, that word, and Tom mentioned it, that word sponsor is not in the big book. No, you can't find it. In the Roman numerals or in the Arabic numbers 1 through 64, that word is not in the big book. So it, it came into being someplace between 1939 when the big book was written 
1953 when the 12 and 12 was published. The 12 and 12 is replete with the word sponsorship. Um, there's a pamphlet uh, from the AA General Service Office, which is quite good, succinct, but very pointed based on experience. There's a book by Hamilton B from Hazleton called 12 Step Sponsorship, which I've actually read three times because it's just so practical and so experiential and so simply put. So if you're interested in more information about being a sponsor or being sponsored, uh, that book takes it from both sides of it, and I highly recommend it. Um, <clears throat> so this is where it the, the springboard for it, 12-step, and we look at it, and we've heard it, and we get brain dead to it. So challenge yourself now. Take a look at it. It's, it's very multidimensional, spiritual awakening. The result of these steps, that's the result. I wish they'd italicized the. They didn't, but I do. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, that's the point of the 12-step process, is to wake up. Then we tried to carry this message. This message, you can have a spiritual awakening. That's the message. I mean, there's many other messages, of course, but the primary message, at least in the context of this working, is that you can have a spiritual awakening, which is the solution to the addiction problem, but more especially is the solution to the living problem. And to practice these principles, these principles, that's a synonym for Bill. <clears throat> Take a look at page 60 at the end of the uh, listing of the steps. He doesn't like to use the same word in, the same, in consecutive sentences, so he uses synonyms. Principle here and on page 60 is a synonym for the steps. He never gives us a list of principles. I've done a, a workshop on the, on the principles. You, you could go to YouTube and, and if you're interested. But here we are. <clears throat> lots of information, lots of experience, lots of exposure. I was asked to set it aside. It was a, such a gift to adopt the attitude and then to translate it into prayer. This is a prayer uh, that I have changed many times over the 25 years after I was exposed to it. And today I've, I've changed it speci specifically for this gathering. It's not an official prayer. Of course, prayer is about intention, not about the words. But if you would join me in the words with the intention of having an open mind and an open heart, releasing all of your understanding, all of your knowledge, all of your feelings, all of your expectations about sponsorship. And be very open. Tom invited you. Have an open heart. Have an open mind. Today, just today, just for today, for these next several uh, hours that we're together, that you choose to be with us. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my unmanageability, my path, and you. For an open mind and an open heart and a new experience with myself my brokenness, 
my unmanageability, my path, and especially you. In light of that, ask yourself right now, I hope you have some writing instrument, paper in a pen or paper uh, or pencil. Why are you here? What, what, what brought you to register? Many hundreds of people saw the information about today. Some gave it some thought. Here you are, you registered. Some actually registered and they're not here. But you registered and you're here. You're very highly motivated. Why are you here? What are you expecting? What are your thoughts about or needs in the area of sponsorship? Ask yourself in the milieu of that prayer, setting it aside, hopefully having new information and a new experience. Having had a spiritual awakening, Bill was very concerned that we know what that means, especially since he changed the big book 12th step. Many people don't realize that. The very first printing, 1939, April, the 12th step read, having had a spiritual experience. Experience, because that was Bill's terminology for what he had as a mountaintop mystical experience. But the pushback he got from other people is, Bill, do we have to have that? And he goes, oh my goodness, no, I read William James' Varieties of Religious Experiences. So I know now that was very unusual. The majority of people who are changed in any way by any process have what's called a spiritual awakening. So in the second printing, 1941, of the big book, first edition, but the second printing, he changed the 12th step. It's the only substantive change in the book since it was originally written. And he changed it to spiritual awakening. And he put appendix two in the back of the book to tell us why he did that. What, what is a spiritual experience? What is a spiritual awakening? How are they the same and how are they different? They're the same in the outcome, a change. They're different in the time frame. An experience is some type of a phenomena that's calculated in minutes or hours or days. A spiritual awakening isn't time-related. It, it, it just... It's like the dimmer switch that goes up a notch at a time on a daily basis. Bill calls it the educational variety. A spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening are the same. They create a change. They're different. A spiritual experience is a phenomenon that happens within a specific time frame. A spiritual awakening is an ongoing process of waking up as long as we stay gently pressed up against that dimmer switch. A change in the way we think and feel and behave, pretty radical actually. It's, it's not light, it's not emotion, it's not thought, it's not certitude, it's not a feeling. It's a change in our very personality and nature, mostly manifest in my behavior. It's done to us. 
but not by us. That's the grace of it, but not without us. That's the, <clears throat> that's the part of our willingness to show up, grace and willingness, that mysterious combination. <clears throat> we enter the world of the spirit, Bill says in step 10. We are, in fact, given abstinence. We are recovered. Well, the words Bill uses in the 10th step is that we're placed. Hear the word, we are placed. That's the grace. That's the deliverance. We are placed in a position of neutrality. Well, we're not cured, though, because of unmanageability, the best-kept secret in the rooms, I believe. Physical sobriety is pretty straightforward, the first half of the first step. Spiritual sobriety, emotional sobriety. That's that daily reprieve. Bill says, we have a daily reprieve contingent on the, on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And he tells us the work will develop the promises of keeping that channel clear. I use that word from the St. Francis prayer. Make me a channel. Keeping the channel clear, spot check inventory. Filling the channel with prayer and meditation, asking for guidance. And allowing that channel, me, I'm the channel. I'm the channel of life. I'm the channel of grace. I'm the channel of God. I'm the channel of light. Helping. I don't use the word service any longer. I dropped it several years ago. Too sophisticated. The spirit invited me to use the word help because it has earth and dirt in it. I will be frustrated. My time will be used in ways that I don't necessarily want to use it. And I allow the light to seep out into the world. I, my image is a lantern to carry this message. Please pay attention to the first line on page 89 in chapter 7, working with others. It's the blueprint for sponsorship. Bill doesn't say it. But he tells us what the experience was, what the process was. Read chapter seven with a highlighter, making note of the particular specific instructions. He, tell, he says, find somebody to help. <laughs> Great first step in helping somebody is to identify who, they, who needs the help. Carry this message. That first line in page 89, nothing will so much ensure immunity. I mean, we're so sensitive to this word today because of the pandemic. Immunization, that's the offer, that's the promise of step 12, carrying the message. Immunity, inoculation, becoming a lantern in step 11 allowing the light to be in me and to allow it to shine through me, lighting that path for others. So I had a sponsor <clears throat> immediately in 1984 when I was in the rooms and <clears throat> agreed that I was an alcoholic. And, then he, and he was my sponsor until, well, I think 2005. A nice long stretch. And uh, he moved out of town, I believe, in local sponsorship. So 
I uh, had been talking to another person and I brought him on board as my sponsor at the time. So I've had two sponsors. That first sponsor was incredibly important to me in this aspect. He said, I want you to call me every day. <sighs> Why would I do that? I asked him. He said, because I want you to learn how to be accountable and to be honest. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He says, I want you to be transparent. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I want your insides and your outsides to match. I still didn't know, but I was done with asking questions. I said, fine. I called him every day and he asked me to go to a meeting every day. I said, oh my God, I'm a busy guy. I just got sober. I got a family. I got a job. I got lots of responsibilities. Why would I do that? He said, because that's my recommendation for right now. I said, how long do I have? He says, until we talk about it. I went to a meeting every day for 10 years. I mean, after a while, I really liked it. I, I was treating it as group therapy. I mean, I liked group therapy and I only went to participation meetings because as if you know me, you know, I like to talk about stuff. And um, <clears throat> so, it, it, but, but what it did is it, it established a new habit for me. And he said, go early 10 minutes and stay late 10 minutes and help out set up chairs in the beginning, or at least talk to people and ask how you can help. And afterwards, clean, you know, like we had ashtrays and porcelain cups in those days, uh, disgusting meetings with smoking. But, uh, you know, I didn't know any different. <clears throat> and that made me, uh, that allowed me to be part of a community. And, and when I showed up early and I stayed late and I helped out, they, they accepted me even more readily, more, more welcome. And I felt part of, and I didn't know any of that then. I can only know that now in retrospect as I look back. He said, get a big book. He said, read it. Oh, great. And then he said, work the steps. Well, I guess that's what had been done with him to him. I didn't know any different. I'm a newbie. I'm three, four months sober. <clears throat> so I, I mean, I'm reasonably intelligent, fairly well educated. So I read the book and I worked the steps and I got to the fourth step and I, I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't figure it out from the big book. I read the 12 and 12. I read the Hazelton literature. I read the literature from the meetings and from the <clears throat> therapy processes that we were in through the hospital program my wife was in. And none of it, it's just, it couldn't get any traction with it. So he said, write your story, write out your autobiography. Well, in a way, it, that's a signal in the big book. If you look in the fifth step instructions, pages 72 to 75, it says we tell someone all our life story and all is italicized. Well, that sounds like an autobiography to me. And I don't know what the truth is. What I know is I did that. There was no impact from it. I did a three-hour fifth step and didn't learn anything, didn't have any new experience, didn't have any new information, and I didn't change. What I know, in retrospect again, because that's the only way I know anything, is that change is the litmus test of the authenticity of the work that we do in the steps. But I did the ninth step by going around saying, I'm sorry. I wasn't that clear about what I was sorry for. I was guilty and shameful about a lot of stuff. And I got some relief just because I was willing to address it in some very awkward and feeble way. 
Now I'm saying it was so lame. My first journey through the steps on my own with no direction was just lame by my standards today, but not by then. It was a demonstration of my willingness and whatever. I was able to sustain my sobriety through that process of willingness and taking action, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And even though the suggestions weren't that accurate or effective or good, I did not change. I went to a meeting every day, book studies and step studies, and I talked to my sponsor every day. Wonderful man, great sounding board, uncommon common sense. Relationships, money, work, retirement, all of the social stuff. I mean, I was ignorant. I had been, and Melissa mentioned that I had been in a seminary for seven years, 17 to 24. And it was a very wonderful educational experience, but I came out 17 years old at least at the max uh, emotionally and socially. I was completely awkward and incompetent. <clears throat> and he was very helpful in helping me learn how to live life like sort of normal people do. But then I met a man in 1988 at a meeting, he shared for five minutes. I didn't know who he was. I'd never seen him before. And he shared about going through the big book, page by page, step by step, being guided by a step guide. He didn't use the word sponsor. He said he had a mechanic as a step guide who used the big book as a textbook, as a manual. And then he went through the steps and it took him a year to finish all of the steps precisely out of the big book. He used that word because that's in the big book itself in italics. And I, I, I could tell that he was changed in the words that he used. They were deep in wisdom words and the bearing that he had. He had a sense of himself. It wasn't arrogance, but it was a dignity. And he had a light in his eye. And the best part about it when he spoke is the words themselves resonated in such a way that my magnet pointed north. I'd never had that experience with anybody in all my exposure to teachers and mentors. <clears throat> and I, I introduced myself at the end of the meeting and I said, would you spend an hour with me talking about what you did to get what you got? I knew there was something there. And he did, and he agreed to take me through the steps. And that really began my then conversion or change or transformation or awakening experience. And periodically I engaged a step guy over the next 20 years. Four different men, maybe five or 10 years apart. Then I went through the steps each time with them, each time having a broader and deeper experience. Some redundant, but some really brand new, especially once one of them introduced me to the set-aside attitude and the set-aside prayer. This man said very clearly here, you have a lot of information, but you have very little transformation. You have a lot of knowledge, but it's never been filtered through your heart, to your experience, to your feet. It was marvelous. I mean, it was such an, he did that publicly in a restaurant, by the way. It was 
<laughs> a great conversation. He got my attention. <clears throat> but it really helped me then to have an open mind and an open heart so that I could have a new experience. To the extent that I hold on to my old knowledge or my old experience, Einstein said that. The consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. I need a new consciousness. That's what Bill knew. That's what he talked about in that 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening. Awakening, that means we're asleep. Gurdjieff, a Russian philosopher said, all human beings are asleep, dreaming that they're awake. It's brilliant. I love stuff like that. Distilled wisdom that just penetrates right to the heart of the truth. I was asleep, thinking that, that I was awake. In 1988, four years sober, going through the steps for the first time, I really believed I was a Renaissance man. Well, don't you know, I have a graduate education in philosophy, psychology, and theology. I mean, I know some shit. I'm four years sober and I'm sponsoring people. I'm, I'm, I'm in step studies and I'm in book studies. I, I know some stuff. And yet when this man helped me have a set aside prayer, I realized, especially after I finished the fourth step, I was not a Renaissance man. I was a Neanderthal. I was completely delusional. I didn't know that I didn't know and I couldn't see that I didn't see. It's not poetry. I'm not trying to be cute or tricky. I'm trying to identify my experience. And I began, I began to wake up. That's why I like the dimmer switch. It's not a light switch for me. A very slow educational variety, glacially slow, actually. But I began to wake up and it continues today. I uh, have a sponsor today that I talk to about once a month. And that's at my initiation, not his. <clears throat> In the beginning, as I said, I talk to a man every day. I meditate every day, but I talk to my sponsor and I meet physically with him to have that conversation about once a month. When I sponsor people, I ask them to call me once a week to kind of hold themselves accountable. I think that's the key to sponsorship is accountability. And to meet with me face to face once a month. Half of them do it, half of them don't. It's, it's their rhythm, not mine. It's their life, not mine. I'm not attached to their recovery. I'm not attached to their suffering. I try to help them reduce their suffering so that they can have recovery and carry that message to other people. <clears throat> and that's my job to help. And I try to wear the lens of that. How can I help? It's really been helpful to me to have those lenses. All right, I think that's enough out of me. Tom, would you share your experience with sponsorship, please? Thank you, Herb. Um, hmm. I like the phrasing, um, let's see, the spirituality series, uh, sponsorship helping others waking up um, explosions, implosions. Um, um, we have a, a, one of the Jesuit uh, retreat masters of, of the 20th century was a fellow from India named um, Anthony DeMello. I never met him, 
but he was full of energy and he's from Goa, Portuguese India, hundreds of years old. And as a, as a young person and, and as he entered his adulthood, he was surrounded with a dozen different religious traditions, the, the, the variety and richness of India. And he learned how to listen to different kinds of groups of people. And as he would um, uh, go around traveling, one of his messages was, again, the waking up. Uh, most people are asleep. We're born asleep. We go to school in our sleep. <laughs> we have families in our sleep. We get married in our sleep. Uh, we never wake up to know how good it really is to be here, which takes some attention and some focus and some discipline because it's very easy to focus how unlousy it is to be here. Um, I was just noticing if I spend a lot of time paying attention to the news, um, I'm rather despondent by seven o'clock in the evening and it's all the bad news. I mean, anytime there's a train wreck, it's, you know, big stories or, but the waking up and, and um, sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly. When I was in college, I had a roommate uh, who um, uh, the bell went off. And he, before anything, he was on the floor doing push-ups. And I was, uh, th this was not uh, uh, a cooperative environment for me. Uh, I'm, I'm a slow waker-upper, and, and I, I gradually kind of go into things. And um, so, but the waking up, I like that language rather than the language of getting saved or getting, uh, I bumped into a guy in, San Francisco years ago, and he introduced himself as a perfectly realized self-master. And I, 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 I don't want to have lunch with him. Um, the perfectly scares me and the master scares me. But the waking up. And I have woken up with terrible hangovers on occasion. Not a lot, but some terrible hangovers. I think Dr. Bob in his own story says he's never had a headache, which I, I, I just find shocking. Um, but but the, the, the coming to, um, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Rumi, the, the great Sufi philosopher and poet says, um, I always wake up empty and afraid. And sometimes, that's my experience. I, the fear is back. There's so much to do is back. I, I walk uh, into my room and I notice all the unread books and the unopened letters and the chaos, you know. It can be very discouraging to be me. So I have to learn how to focus on things that are life-giving. Um, and, and one of the reasons I'm still alive is I'm really surrounded by some extraordinarily good people who are helpful. I'm uh, in a tradition where you, you regularly have an older person you talk to about stuff. And when I was a very young man, I mean, I, I had no idea how to do this, I, I, but there was an older person for the most part, they were kind, and for the most part, they were trying to be helpful, but you have to give them something to work with. And I, I really didn't have anything 
to give them because I, I was active in my alcoholism. I was busy avoiding and ignoring and minimizing. And, and if something came up, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, if I'm in trouble, I want to hide it. I want to tough it out on myself. I want to keep this secret because if I had a problem, I was a problem. And I, 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 it, it's just not my way of doing things. How are you? Everything is fine. Thank you. <laughs> and if there is a problem, it's probably you, you know, or the bishop or the president or the, oh, those people over there. So I had a lot of skill in not paying attention to me, focusing on a thousand other things, coming into sobriety. Um, the focus really has to change. I, one of the first live meetings I went to was about two or three months ago over in Alameda, which is, is very close to here. It's 20 minutes away, but I never go there. Um, but there was a, I have a couple of sponsees there, but they come here. I don't go there. Um, and this fellow was talking about coming into meetings and he felt chaotic and he felt battered and he felt desperate and he felt wild also damaged and and he's presented there's 12 steps and 12 traditions words 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 book pamphlet words and he's in no position to read anything or study anything or i mean this is a guy who has just crawled into the life raft and he looks at all this stuff now here it is come on where are you so a fellow, and he says, I'm here, and I, I just, I'm overwhelmed that I'm dying, and help. And this guy sits him down and says, can you drink safely? No. Is your life a mess? Yes, that's step one. Do you think we can help? Yes, that's step two. <laughs> Are you willing to follow directions? That's step three. Mm -hmm. I, I think we can have a tendency, especially if you know you're you've been in school a little too long, to get very you know reflective. It is a program of action, and and there's a lot of simplicity to it. My waking up, Rumi would say, I always wake up empty and afraid. I would wake up to chaos. And, and how do you begin to do this? I, I love the image in the book where they climb out of the cyclone cellar, the storm cellar, and say, ain't it grand the wind stop, wind stop blowing? But everything has to get rebuilt and, and put back together. And that's a lot of the footwork of recovery. I, I had a sponsor. I was going to meetings here. Uh, I was 29 when I got sober, and I was at Berkeley. So I'm surrounded by really smart people. And the Berkeley uh, meetings, we didn't even have one meeting a day in Berkeley yet. Probably four nights, five nights a week. We started a Sunday night meeting at the Episcopal Church. And, and, and just getting to meetings, which I did a lot of, was a place where I could breathe. Yeah. There was oxygen. Yeah. And I like that image of breathing and being awake and breathing and being awake. And slowly, slowly, slowly waking up. Um, Bill Wilson uh, coming to waking up 
he really didn't know very much. I mean, he was a bright guy, but he really didn't know very much about a lot of things. And he was willing to learn. And he, he will spend his life talking to virtually anybody who had an idea in their head. So Bill studies this and reads that and looks at those people. He tries a lot of things, including dropping acid, because someone told him it'd be a really good idea. It may not have been. Um, but, but, you know, there, there were all sorts of people trying to solve things and pick things up. And part of waking up and part of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty is to do 10,000 mistakes. Yeah because it's how you learn. And I've surely done that. Um, so I went to meetings and they told me about sponsorship, sponsorship, sponsorship. And I, I asked a man to be my sponsor. I was three or four months sober. He was a little younger than me. His name was James W. Vietnam vet, uh, high school education. Uh, but he was at meetings all the time and he didn't scare me. A lot of other people scared me. And, and we became pals. Um, and I think we had one deep uh, philosophical conversation, which was he wanted to know if I thought only Catholics had a connection with God. And I said, of course not. He said, okay. And that's the deepest we ever went in terms of understanding, you know, the cosmos. But he, he was friendly, he was supportive, and he listened. And, and I was waking up panicky because I was starting to have emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first year or two, any crisis that I really had was, I'm feeling something. How can I get this to stop? But I remember calling him saying, I'm feeling overwhelmed or panicky or angry or all this stuff that had been sedated for years. And he would ask a question. He would say, what step are you on? So he, he, would, he would give me a little, and I didn't know, but it was pretty much steps one, two, three. Yeah. Uh, but he was in conversation with me and, and we did things together. And, and he, had me, he took me with him to the All California Young People's Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous in Monterey. I got sober in August of 76. This was in the spring of 77. It's still being held. And there are like a thousand people there. And a whole bunch of us went from Berkeley. And he gave me that impetus. And just to see all these young people sober. And I think most of the weekend um, uh, was a blur. I, I, I liked it. It was terrifying. Who are all these people? A whole bunch came up from Southern California. And they're, well, you know how they are down there in Southern California, um, happy, enthusiastic, terrifying. And after I was sober a year, I, it was time I finished schooling. I, I graduated from my, with a master's in divinity in MDiv, which isn't, I mean, you have some philosophy and some theology and some scripture and some systematic stuff and you learn some things, but it really is very basic. It's not, it's not highly evolved. And then I went back to teach at Loyola High School in Los Angeles. So I'm going back to LA where I've been drunk for five years and I'm going back to the scene of the crime and many crimes, drunk driving and arguments and resentments and chaos and a lot of five, five years of self will run riot. And I wrote the Archbishop 
Cardinal Manning and I said, I'm coming down to your part of the world. Um, I, I want to ask permission to use grape juice rather than wine at mass, which you can do. And, and I got that permission. And I um, said, Is, are there any sober priests in LA? I'd sure like to meet a couple. And he wrote me back a gracious letter really quickly. And he said, welcome, when you get in, please let's meet. And when you get to town, call Terry R. Father Terry Ritchie, a priest of the diocese, Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Terry is a, 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 he's about nine years older than I am, 1938, maybe he's born in 1937. And he's eight or nine years older. He, a native Los Angeles person, a terrible alcoholic. Alcoholism has just shattered his family. Um, and he had five years more sobriety than I did. And he was the point guy. If, if anybody got in trouble with booze or dope or Terry was the guy who made the contact and got the guy some help. He's introverted and he's low key. And um, uh, I got to Los Angeles on a Friday. I went to a meeting Friday night, two Saturday, two Sunday. Loyola High is right in the middle of Los Angeles. It's, it's kind of Southern Koreatown. And I went to meetings on Northern uh, Watts, Southern Hollywood. That's where I went to meetings. And I, I called Terry on Monday and I said, hi, he got a letter, a copy of the letter that the Cardinal wrote me. And I said, uh, hi, I want to make a connection and I need a sponsor. I knew that you, you gotta have someone you're accountable to, or, or you get lost. And I, and he said, when, uh, when did you get to Los Angeles? And I said, uh, Friday. He said, have you been to a meeting yet? I said, I've been to five. And he said, I'll be your sponsor. He, he likes sponsoring desperate people. And, and, and going to meetings for me is frequently a sign of my desperation and my willingness. One of my pals, another sober Jesuit, uh, Marine, not Marine, uh, military chaplain, did three tours of duty in our more recent wars. And when he got back to stateside, I said, so what are you doing for your recovery? He said, 90 meetings in 90 days. So long sobriety, 90 meetings. And I've, I've done that. Okay, anyway, so Terry picked me up and took me to a meeting. And, and we would meet once a week. He'd pick me up and we'd go to a meeting. And you, know, you got to watch your sponsors. You know, what's, what's he like and how does he handle things? And um, um, occasionally there was a topic to discuss. But a lot of his influence on me was just from the physical presence and watching him deal with others. With great kindness, with sympathy, we did a twelve-step call together. Uh, he got a call, and he called me, and we went to see this guy. and And I watched Terry at work, mm -hmm. and and trying to get this guy to a meeting, and trying to be positive and supportive. and And I don't remember whether the guy went to a meeting with us or not, but I remember Terry not being a jerk, being respectful, mm -hmm. treating the man not with kid gloves, but with respect, you know, and, and uh, you try to be helpful and there's, there's a lot we can't do. 
Mm-hmm. I did my fifth step with Terry. Um, I he he's not a nagger. I I, I basically um, did the step work when I was uncomfortable. And if I wasn't in crisis much, I I just went to meetings and socialized and did minimal. And and then you know life happens and there's things out of balance and 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 you know it's it's step three. I remember doing step three on my knees and I'm not a big knees guy. On my knees, I was frantic. Probably two years sober, three years sober, frantic and obsessed, and I couldn't fix me. And it was going faster and faster. And and at Loyola High School, I, I third floor. There was a a, a, a a way into the chapel, and I went and I just I just begged for help because I could not relieve the crazy, and it passed. Almost right away, it passed. Almost in a scary amount of quickness, it passed. Whew. But you got to do a fourth step. I was told if you don't do a fourth step, you'll drink again. And that's motivation. So I, I, um, there was a, this is 1977-78. In Los Angeles, in Hollywood, they had a place, I think it's the big Presbyterian church on Highland and Franklin. um, And there were a zillion meetings a day. And if you were just wild, you could get there and there would be sober people. It was in the back of the church. And they finally threw us out because of, hundreds of parking violations and, and arrogance and stupidity on the parts of sober alcoholics. But it would, and I, they would have workshops there on how to do a fourth step. And I would attend the workshops, trying to, probably trying to figure out how to get around it. Um, but I, and I wrote, and when the discomfort passed, I stopped writing. And then I'd get uncomfortable again and write. And then when the discomfort passed, I'd stop writing. And finally, in about two years sober, I, I had to get this done. Not, not from any external pressure, but the internal pressure of I have to be involved in my recovery. Uh, the image Terry uses is uh, the program throws us the ball, throw the ball back. I, I like that image. It's, it's the only sports image I understand. Throw the ball back. <laughs> And I, I took some time and I, I, a group of us went out to, there was a Jesuit retreat house in Azusa, California, which is way east of Los Angeles. And, and it went for many years and we let go of it 20 years ago or so for a hundred reasons. But a couple of us were out there and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I got it done. And then I had made a date with Terry to read him my fourth step. I followed the book. Uh, Resentments, fears, sexual stuff, finances. I mean, it was those those basic areas of human confusion and anguish. You know, these these things that that are part of most of our lives. And I had I had pages like this, and um, he came to my house, I dried him around two years sober, and we went to my room, and he sat in a chair, and I sat on my bed, and I read him these pages, these lists. 
It wasn't gracious. It wasn't elegant. It surely wasn't very well written. Lists of things and lists of things and lists of things. And I remember in, in one particular area, um, I was ambiguous. If you read it right, I didn't sound like such a jerk. <laughs> However, I really was a jerk. And I, I, had, I, I, I went away from the page and I explained to the floor the full chaos. I couldn't look at Terry. Because I was afraid. I mean, what's he going to think? What's he going to think? And it took an hour or so. I'm, I'm boring and repetitive in terms of chaotic behavior. I do the same stuff over and over and over again with very little variation. And then I was done. Um, and I, money, I, I owed some people some money because I was careless. Uh, an incident, uh, there was an old lady who needed some legal help. And I had a friend who was a lawyer and I took this lady's paperwork and instead of giving it to my friend, the lawyer, I put it on my desk and then went away for two weeks. And she got penalized because law, dates, penalties, careless, absolute carelessness. Uh, that was, I mean, things like that, embarrassing, stupid, self-centered, really hurting people that, that there was no business to hurt other than, oh, I'll help and then I do nothing. So I had, that's, I, did I mention I go to Al-Anon? Uh, because that's part of the crazy. And so I was done and Terry said, well, one thing's real clear. And I remember going, oh no, something's clear. It's gonna be a judgment. It's gonna be a condemnation. It's going to be a sentence. And he said, both you and I need this program very much. And then he left. We didn't then discuss, you know, for two hours. Then he left. I was so relieved. I went, it was a Wednesday. I went to a meeting that night at Plummer Park, Wednesday night. And at that time, uh, this is 1977, 78, 79, somewhere in there, um, a lot of Russian Jews were in Plum Premier Park. There was a huge immigrant community there. So you'd walk through all these people speaking Russian and get to the AA meeting at Plummer Park. And, and a couple of the, and I was regularly at that meeting and I looked at them and they said, you look awful, what happened? I did my fifth step, sit down, you know. Oof. I didn't feel this elation I'm finally free. I, I, I felt like I had marched through the mud up to here to get that done. And I would say within the next couple of months, I felt lighter. Mm -hmm. And then finally, uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't call Terry the next day. I had shame, I had embarrassment because I, I listed all the stuff I never listed before, you know, selfishness and self-centeredness. 
and uh, I went to different meetings. And then Wilshire Boulevard Temple is right there, which is kind of art deco. It's well worth visiting right there on Wilshire Boulevard. And I, uh, Rabbi Magnan um, had a gathering for clergy around Passover every year. And, and I was in the neighborhood and, and I went and a couple others went and a whole bunch of Catholics were there and Protestants and others and a few other rabbis, I'm guessing. And I think we all wore Roman collars. It was kind of a formal thing. And it was going to be a social event, plus a little bit of prayer and some ecumenical. Here we are sharing the planet. Let's be friendly. And Terry was there. So I hadn't seen him in four or five or six months. And I, I, I was glad to see him. And I walked up. I said, hi. Uh, and he said, oh, how good to see you. He didn't say, where have you been? What's wrong with you? He knows what's wrong with me. <laughs> he just said, I'm so glad to see you. And then he said, let's, let's visit soon. And we did. We made a date. And, and he said, I just want to tell you, uh, you know, steps one, two, and three, you can pretty much do by yourself in your head. And the fourth step is kind of solitary, too. But in the fifth step, you actually include another human being. And he said, as the other human being you included, I just want you to know, if you keep doing this, you're going to have a long, happy, sober life. That's what I want to tell you. He didn't give me self-help books. He didn't give me advice. He didn't give me corrections. He didn't, he didn't analyze me. It was such a relief. And I realized, and I was probably two and a half years sober at the time, that I had finally found someone I could trust. Mm. I could tell him anything, and he doesn't flinch. He doesn't recommend books that I read. So we've, we've had a, a long relationship over the many years. And, and when I moved back to Los An uh, uh, Oakland in 1981, I have a couple of people up here I talk to and I see regularly, but I, I maintain that connection with Terry because of telephones. And, and when I get down to LA, we would visit together and just spend time. And he's a great listener. And then he would share his own stuff and I would share some of my stuff back and forth. There's a kind of a radical equality there, you know, of one crazy person talking to another crazy person. Ignatius Loyola is the founder of the Jesuits in the uh, middle 1500s, and he has a spiritual awakening that took place over time. I mean, it was over a period of months. He had a, a long convalescence from a battle wound, battlefield wound. And he started waking up with a very unrefined desire to be of service and to take the higher power stuff seriously but he literally knew nothing other than being a, a guy who's good at self-will run riot. And he decided to learn. He didn't have a copy of the varieties of religious experience like Bill W. did, but he had to learn. He was going to go back to school and school in philosophy, theology, it was all in Latin and he knew no Latin. So, my favorite image of him is he's like 30 years old, 35 years old, and he goes back to the third grade wow. 
to sit with kids learning amo, amas, amat. I mean, the very basic of the language. It's a pretty easy language to learn. It's not very fancy, but you get the basics of it. And then he went to school at the University of Paris to learn. And as he's trying to do all these things and waking up, he makes a million mistakes. He tries this and it doesn't work. He tries that and it doesn't work. And, and uh, uh, I think um, one of the Chinese instructors of life would say, hurry up and make your first 10,000 mistakes. <laughs> And Ignatius did. And out of that comes a way of living where you are connected to the higher power. You try to be grateful and you try to be of service. The gratitude and service. When, when Father Dowling that, that Herb mentioned, the Bill's friend, older man by a full generation um, from 1940 to 1960, they had a lot in common. Father Dowling um, uh, read the big book and thought it sounded like Ignatius right? because it was full of gratitude and service. Mm -hmm. And so he travels to New York to meet Bill. And he says, uh, you know, do you know, Bill, had, Bill didn't know any Catholics. Bill didn't run in those circles. But what, what Father Dowling noticed was the similarities gratitude and service gratitude and service i have visited dowling's grave in st louis a couple of times and pay my respects um, um the the value i've had with with terry r over these 40 plus years is what i've noticed is someone who has a real program of recovery. I've watched him interact with people. I've heard him talk hundreds of times. And he's always interesting. I can't say that for Herb or me, but <laughs> he was always interesting. And he had stuff to say. And he believed in a program of recovery and to keep it simple and to keep it honest. And as I mentioned earlier this morning, as he shared, he's got dementia now, as some of you may know, so he's disappearing. Um, but he's still there. He's still very much there. And he said at a gathering for his 48th or 49th birthday in Sherman Oaks with Steve A., Terry said, I depend on the 12 steps to breathe. And I think I do too. I mean, I'm... I'm very aware of uh, frailty and getting out of balance and days of just being very overwhelmed by all the overwhelming stuff and the steps help me breathe and asking for help. Um, two other things and then, and then we can do the next thing. I, uh, uh, when we're talking about the spirit, the whole spirituality conversation, it is about how we feel. Um, to have a spiritual conversation, to have a spiritual director, you need to know your feelings. Do I feel 
alienated or connected? Do I feel part of or separate from? Do I feel agitated or do, do I feel sedated? I mean, I've got to know those things. And a lot of times I feel just a little agitated. <laughs> Keeps me away. Uh, what do I see? An important spiritual conversation. What do I see? And I'm an amateur gardener, and, and one of my spiritual activities is to go outside to the yard and look at that which is alive. Mm -hmm. And it, sometimes it just catches you by surprise. It's yeah. alive. Yeah. I've got to see that. Yeah. Because otherwise, I just think about me and how today is worse than yesterday. And that's, and I'm, I'm very happy to think about that all day long. And it's a bad way to be. Get outside. Planting things, looking at things. And, and, and why do I choose? What are my motives? Looking at my motivation. And a lot of times, my motives are not that noble. Uh, sometimes they're pretty good, but almost always it's mixed. Like I'm going to drive up to Sacramento uh, this afternoon. I'm, I'm going to do a live meeting. It's about 90 miles north of here. Um, and I'm going to go a, a live meeting of, of, of the fellowship uh, in Roseville, which is a little north of Sacramento. And one of the reasons I'm going is just because I'd like to see some people. I mean, I'm going to talk a bit too and perhaps, you know, welcome a couple newcomers, but I just, I just want to see some old friends. Now that's not ignoble, but it's a little selfish. Um, I want the drive. I want to look at what's out there for 90 miles of travel in Corona written California. I want to see that too. Get out of the house and maybe be of service a little bit and and let people know that recovery is possible, even if you're self-centered and elderly. Recovery is possible. I've got a couple of, I mean, I, I'm shocked and amazed that, that um, people get sober on Zoom. Yeah. I mean, this is, how does that work? It's, yeah, yeah. And I've got a couple of guys. One in his middle 30s and one in his middle 20s, and they're brand new. Boy, I hope they live. Um, and, and you try to be encouraging and tell them, I'm so glad you're alive. <laughs> and I hope you keep showing up. And I hope you understand how important it is to not take that first drink or that first drug. Terry, um, we have a, a priest friend who's in the Episcopal Church. His name is Jeff, and he's in Nevada somewhere. And he led us uh, the retreat for priests in recovery a few years ago, January in Malibu, which I hope we will hold this year live in Malibu. And Jeff was talking to us once, and he, we, he told us his story, and he's a madman. I mean, good heavens, this, this man needs meetings and a program of recovery, let me tell you. And uh, he said, one of, after he told us some of his um, self-destructive behavior and self-obsession, he said, one of his first prayers every morning is, oh, God, protect me from myself. I wrote that down. I, I, that's one of, one of mine. 
I mentioned it to a group of church people and they didn't get it at all. What are you talking about? I said, well, it's <laughs> different background. Um, but Oprah and, and a sponsor, one of the things Terry has done with his love and his kindness over the many years is he's shown me how to be kind and loving. And he was that to me when I wasn't very lovable or kind. Um, so he's, he's, uh, he's definitely a better quality human being, if you ask me. And, and when I see him, when I go to LA, I stay with him and hang out with him. And, and I just want some of that to rub off, some of the kindness and the letting go. Um, I like the business of being accountable and I like the business of transparency uh, and I like the business of making 10,000 mistakes, just at your first 10,000 mistakes. And then again, and the biggest mistake I have, and this is where I'll end, I keep thinking that I'm, that I should be so much better. And I get discouraged when I find out that I'm, in desperate need of a program of recovery one day at a time. I think I should evolve a little bit, you know, so that I don't have to use a seat belt or stop at stop lines because I'm so advanced. And the laws of physics apply. <laughs> and the laws of recovery apply. And all this business of being human beings together makes the difference. I'm really grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, literally, I, I depend more and more on AA to breathe. And when I do that, today's good. That's enough, Herb. Well, um, I'm, there's more, and we're going to call on it more as we go along. Thanks, Tom, so much for sharing a piece of your journey. That's just wonderful. And, and Terry Ritchie is everything as you described it, uh, he did a retreat here at the Retreat Center, Mary and Joseph Retreat Center that's sponsoring this uh, annually for decades and uh, four couples. And my wife and I went to it regularly for years. And um, he just, he, he, as you say, I mean, he was never, I mean, you never heard him say the same thing twice. It was like, or at least I didn't hear it. Uh, he was interesting and, and he was philosophical, a bit ADD. It took me 10 years to learn how to follow him, but because <laughs> I'm a much more linear thinking and he is like, yeah, anyway. So thank you so much uh, for that. Thank you so much, um, both Herb and Father Watson. Just wonderful presentations. I'm so glad I signed up. Um, one of the things, Herb, I have just one thing for each of you. It's quick. Um, when I first heard you speak, it was at the Newark Airport Convention of um, Vision for You. And in the interim, following your, your presentation, I mean, I was very... It was like, wow, where has, where has this been all my life? Yeah. And um, following that presentation, I was in, toward the front of the stage and um, you were very much surrounded by a number of people asking questions. And I was speaking with some other people and I overheard one word, uh, two words. And it was, your spiritual shield is cracked. And I said, what did he say? 
<laughs> so what did he say? And after that, I looked in my notes for how to get in touch with Herb Kay. And then it, then it would pass. And then another time it would hit me really hard. And I think, I've got to listen to him with this man. And I asked numbers, numerous people. In December of last year, a woman called me from California and said, um, are you a sponsor who has done Herb K workshops? And I said, no, but how do I get in touch with them? So that's how that came about. And I got into your uh, workshop. So you can sponsor with a word sometimes and you don't even know it. Well, and, there you go. Um, mm -hmm. So, and the other question, not quite, yeah, I do have a question for Father Tom. Um, the, the quote that you said, um, recovery is possible if you are elderly and what? <laughs> it was one of those spontaneous. Frail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, I'll be 86 next week. Yeah. And yeah. I want, yeah. And I, I, I'm not, I'm getting frail, but you know, I didn't know I was. I awoke to that doing the, the uh, workshop. I was so convinced that I was, you know, master of my environment and my yeah. world. Yeah. Until yeah. I realized in in discussion with Herb that I was vulnerable like anybody else. Yeah. And as a result of that, began to really pay attention to that. So yeah. I don't know what God has in mind for the rest of my journey or how long that will be, but I can't imagine doing it without what I have learned this past yeah. year. It's just been eye-opening, awakening, and whatever you want to call it. I heard this at a meeting last week. If you can stay sober in AA, you can stay sober anywhere. <laughs> I think that's very insightful. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Thanks. Very well, I have more than one addiction. And I'm a food addict at, in, the, in the long run, but I've had to put down alcohol and, and drugs and other things. So all of that is part of my experience. So this was like a really you know, mountaintop experience for me. Thank you. Both thanks, of you. thanks. And uh, just as an FYI, uh, both I and Tom mentioned uh, Father uh, Dowling, Ed Dowling, the Jesuit priest that Bill connected with or connected with Bill. Uh, he came to Bill because he was a food addict. He was severely obese. And he thought, if it works for alcohol, would it possibly work for me? I don't know the rest of the story. I don't know. Tom, do you? He thought of, of starting a program for, for people with food issues, calling it Overeaters Obvious. <laughs> but but I don't think, he, I don't think, that, I mean, it, it didn't develop, you know. He also, okay. I think, smoked a little like everyone else did. So yeah. that, that uh, shortened his life by years. Yeah. Oh, I, can, yeah. I consider myself a food addict and I am a goal weight and the, my struggle is to now eliminate the salt that's part of my um, heart program so that I do not have to take extra drugs for that. And it's wonderful to be without that. Whatever you're doing, continue doing it. You've got great energy and a great attitude. And, and uh, at 86, still looking to improve. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you, Thank you both. All right, so you're saying you sponsor them and they leave you. Yeah. Okay. And I recognize I have fears in that program or more than anything, um, insecurities about my abilities to sponsor. Okay. 
right. I I've mean, made some sharing, changes. You're sharing your experience. Okay. Yes. Yes. And, and, and the question you have to ask is, um, are you helping people and are they, uh, are they staying with you because you're helping them or are they leaving you because you're, they're not helping? You're not helping them. Yeah, no. Specifically in that program where I feel more insecure. So I guess I don't know what my question is. My question is, is I don't want to be ashamed. Yeah. I, I do want to be of service sure. and receive that immunity like you were talking about, yeah. continue to feel, um, and maybe just for the moment, be okay that in that specific program, maybe I need more recovery myself, yeah. more. It's wonderful uh, that you're asking those questions, you're challenging yourself, but at the same time, uh, don't take responsibility for other people's decisions. It's yeah. wonderful that you challenge yourself. Is there something going on that uh, I can improve so that uh, perhaps they'll be more inclined to take my suggestions? Or is it just, you know, their problem and don't get attached to it, but stay awake, like you're saying. Tom, do you have uh, any comment on uh, that? I, um, I uh, very similar, Elizabeth. There are people that... that uh, uh, they dropped me. Uh, they called for a while, then they didn't. Um, yeah. We had a couple of meetings, and they go away. And I, um, some people are very structured with a lot of of of. Um, well, let's use the word structure. Do this and do that. I'm not one of those guys. Right. Um, and some people would like that more. Yeah. Um, and some people want they want you to be a sponsor to be their best friend, and that. May or might not happen. Um, I I share my experience in in Al-Anon. I do not sponsor um, people married to alcoholics. I've never been married to an alcoholic. Why would you marry an alcoholic? So I'm not very sympathetic. And I don't sponsor people with kids because I've taught kids, but I don't have kids. You know, uh, so I. But I can talk to people who are adult children. So. My, my ability to sponsor is very limited into a couple of areas. Oh, it's based on your experience. Yeah, based on my experience. And yeah. there's just a lot I don't know. And, and I let people uh, not call. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I have no rules. Yeah. I set standards. I would like yeah. you to call me once a week, see me once a month. Half of them do yeah. not do that. It's, that's their decision. Yeah, I had I have several people who call me every week, and some who call me once a month. Yeah, uh, one has called me every day for years. Yeah, and ju just to check in, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I will say that I developed a practice of asking. Oh, can I can I ask why you are deciding this? Yeah. It's totally fine. And you know, they say, oh, I. One of them said, I never felt connected to you, and I was like, okay. Another one said, oh, it's nothing. I don't know. So I will say as part of my honesty now, as I hear you speak more, there have been situations in which people have come to me asking for a sponsorship and engagement relationship. And I knew it wasn't going to work. And I still said yes. Yes. So that's also on me. So thank you. Thank you so much for. Oh, I, I, um, I, I discern it's a conversation to make sure there's a fit. And I'm, I get very clear with my expectations, but I also ask them, what are their expectations? 
And, and if they say to me, and Tom just pressed that button in me, if they say to me, oh, I just want to, I literally, literally like what you have, and I want to hang out, and I want to be your friend. I said, I don't hang out, and I've got enough friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really that, yeah, Tom, I'm that direct. I mean, some people call it rude, but it's, it's direct. I mean, I try to be nice and respectful. Uh, I loved uh, Tom's description of Terry's uh, respect and that dignity. And, and, and that's a vision for me. That's something I would like to be taken to, um, that level of respect. And, and, but, but stay conscious like you are. And, and, and if you th look through the lens, I really just want to help. But, I, I, you know, don't chase them. Yeah. Yeah. But stay conscious and ask you, challenge yourself at all times. Am I being, uh, is there something in me that's a, an impediment to my being useful and helpful? That's wonderful. Um, I got um, sober in Monterey um, a lot of years ago and have since um, learned that actually food was my first addiction but I couldn't have come to that without having been sober for yeah. 18 years and so Father Tom I've I've run across you many times it's just so good to see you this feels kind of like full circle and Herb you know just working with you has just been absolutely wonderful um, but I miss something which I do regularly now that I'm older you know it's kind of like I I catch something that really grabs my attention, but then there's something else to pay attention to. And so I, I miss a word. And um, Father Tom, you had been talking about, um, I, I wanna kind of um, bookend this um, because I think what I'm gonna ask you is probably gonna be a little bit um, confusing, but you, you had been talking about um, being Jesuit and say, Saint Ignatius. And, and you were talking at that point about Father Terry. And what I wrote down was um, that he said, you have to have a program of recovery. And I missed the second word, but I have a feeling it was important. Any idea? <laughs> it was, it was recorded. That's the best I can yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Is that your answer? <laughs> I, I have, I'd have no recollection of saying anything this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, both of us speak very spontaneously. So, right, right. yeah, yeah. Well, so. you, you also said um, one of my absolute favorite things because I have so many of them is that you must know your feelings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, and ask questions. And um, that in itself is uh, hugely helpful. Well, and I think it's a, it's it's clearly one of the things I would want in a sponsor and suggest that people think about, and that is that not only does the sponsor ask questions, but they listen to you when you start talking about the answer or response, and they don't interrupt and they don't correct, and and it's not and and and, and Tom made it so clear. It's not like not about a teaching thing. It's about like a gentle. It's a relationship. Yeah. So listen and 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 ask questions. From my standpoint, that's a really um, helpful sponsorship. Yeah, I I have a, a a couple of long distance sponsors. One's in Jerusalem and one's in Germany and one's in Stockholm, and we email back and forth pretty regularly. 
And when they present me with a conundrum, you know, or a situation, uh, I, I share with them what, what I do when I'm faced with a conundrum or a situation, three questions, what's practical, what's possible, what's simple. I had, a th I had another item and that's what's the operating principle? What's that the might be a little deeper. That might be a little deeper. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you and I are kind of on the opposite sides okay. of personalities. As I'm listening to you and hearing you, I'm, I'm quite quite organized and disciplined and analytical. And I mean, you are also, but you have a much more, how do you say, spacious room mm -hmm. <laughs> as you're mm -hmm. living your life than mm -hmm. probably I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but what's practical, what's possible, what's simple, and the answer might be different for different people. Correct. Probably will be. Correct. But the questions are very valid. And I, because they want me to know what they should do next, you know, and I have no idea what they should do next, you know, don't take the next drink and, yeah. you know, but, but uh, I, I don't know if they should move in or out. Right. New job, old job. I mean, I, I don't, but what's practical, what's possible, what's simple. Mm -hmm. And, and, and my response, and it's similarly for, formulaic in a way, and that is identify the principle, always take the high road and be generous. Thanks, Herb and Father Tom. I've been doing your workshops uh, for the past year, and I'm also in the weekly big book study with you, Herb. Uh, my question, I think you might have answered it when it comes to sponsorship i have the aa sponsor that does make me call him every day but then i'm working in another program sex and love addicts anonymous and my sponsors really i've really enjoyed being with him in the sense of the work that we're doing together steps one through three has been the best experience i've ever had in a 12-step program but ever since i've gotten to step five and since i've gotten to step five we haven't formally been working the steps with each other i check mm -hmm. in with him twice a week um, mm -hmm. he's long distance but I'm doing the workshops, I'm going to meetings, outreach calls, and doing service. And my program's going really good, but we've stopped formally working the steps together. Um, do you see that just as important? Do you see that as, as being really important? Or if I'm working my program diligently and um, staying engaged, that that's just as sufficient. Um, the only negative aspect I see of it at the moment of not completing my step work is that it uh, doesn't give me the ability to sponsor. And I know how important that is in my recovery. So I was just curious if maybe what you guys had to say about that. Tom? Well, well, the, uh, some, sometimes step work is not formal. <clears throat> On a regular basis, um, the discussion is about steps one, two, and three. On a regular basis, it's about that 10th step of admitting when you're wrong and making amends. I mean, that's, that's just getting through the day. Um, encouragement for prayer, meditation, and service. Um, that, that is a lot of the conversation of recovery in 12 steps, even if you're not maybe not formally on the page. Um, uh, and and we, we make decisions and, and we admit when we're wrong and we make amends. And uh, I've been doing a lot of that for the last 35 years or so. Um, and that's, that's working to program. Just the simple thing of admitting when you're wrong, I that that still sticks right there in my throat. It's not one of those things I look forward to doing. However, um, it happens with some regularity. Yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, well, um, also, uh, you know, you, you don't really need anybody to do six and seven and take an hour out of your day and do it. Finish the six and seven. I mean, literally, I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally. Take an hour, do six and seven, get it done. It's a little list and a little willingness and a little prayer and you're done and go and, and do your eighth step. You do your eight step now uh, talk to your sponsor about if you want to be guided through your eight step and assuming they have your sponsor has some experience with the ninth step have that conversation to prepare you to begin doing that when you and he both agree that you're complete and in your preparation of the eight step for those amends but mm -hmm. you want you want to get on the other side of nine mm -hmm. and eight and nine are the from my standpoint the only two steps that you absolutely need somebody else to do right yeah. because we're lousy judges of our own situation oh my god we're just horrible we just we're distorted and another and, person and still help. And you can you can hear it in Tom. He's still distorted. I can see it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. In fact, just the, earlier this morning, we had I suffered a distortion. Exactly. Um, I asked Terry once about you know that again the defects of character the the, the and and I said when am I going to get rid of these? Yeah. And he said we ask to have them removed. We do not ask to have them erased. Yeah. And I still got them. I mean, I and when I'm when I'm when I have enough sleep and I've taken care of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and I've been to a meeting and I've, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, 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 stressed out. I don't have a lot of trouble with them, but if I get knocked off balance, yeah, um, they, they take up the front. Um, I can't tell you how, how easy it is for me to lie when I'm caught by surprise. I mean, I, it just happens. And so promptly admit it. So um, uh, I get a daily reprieve from the worst of my crazy. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm, I'm still very much me. Well, see, and that's that emotional balance that there's been a lot of talk about recently in the last oh, five or 10 years. And that's that balance. And if I were to say it, 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 the one challenge I have is daily, daily is staying in balance. Okay, <laughs> staying in balance. How do you stay in balance? And that's to stay alert. And, and, and Father Tom mentioned, and somebody else reinforced that in terms of the feelings. I mean, it's so important to thaw out and acknowledge and pay attention to our feelings. Not that they are going to manage our lives. That's the, the, the life of chaos but that we're going to attempt in connection with grace and God and all of that, we're going to attempt to manage our feelings. Mm -hmm. Hello, there's two of us here. Thank you for today's opportunity to talk to you guys. Right. Uh, we wanted to find out, we have two questions to start. Um, the first one would be um, if, if you have any suggestions on sponsoring someone who's an atheist. And I, I know that the, I like the part in the forward of the 12 and 12 where it says that the, um, the program is a, uh, spiritual principles where we live to get, you know, happy, usefully whole, et cetera. So uh, I wanted to find out from that question about the webinar or the workshop that you talked about principles and thinking that I was, that might help me um, on this path with this person who's an atheist. I'm not an atheist. I'm the extreme opposite 
um, of that. So, <laughs> so um, I wanted, so it is a challenge for me. It'll be the first time I've had a conversation with somebody who was a professed atheist. So, um, which is why I'm on your call today. I was just kind of, kind of um, just get some insight on that. And then the other question is, well, both of us, this one here, <laughs> we're, uh, we're work, both uh, trying to work with somebody who is um, always relapsing, but always wanting help. And so, you know, and how it works, it does talk about like, eventually we, you know, we have to move on or I, I don't know the quote, but we wanted to see what, how that works with you. And when do you decide that somebody's not listening or just, you're not the one for them? And, and how, how do you handle that? Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I'd like the two to different people, two different situations. Right, but. right. And I get it. I'd like to answer just shortly, and then I'll, uh, I'd like to invite Tom. And that is, with the atheist, I, I can't help them from my standpoint, because I have no experience with that, like yourself. But I have a guy in Toronto that I refer all my agnostic and atheist people to, uh, because he's the leader of the atheist group. They are, literally have a formal group in Toronto of alcoholics and drug addicts that are professed atheists and agnostics. And they have an entire 12-step uh, group for that. And so um, you could email me and I can connect you to them and they can have that conversation. With regard to somebody who is constantly asking for help but not taking the action, I never turn anybody away, but I do hang up on people. <laughs> if in fact they call me and they start talking about their job or their relationship or their money problems, I ask them, what step are you not completing? Mm. And once they start stuttering, I say, call me when you've done the suggested work. Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, Tom. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. I don't, I don't uh, argue uh, the God stuff at all. Um, people come from many different backgrounds. Right. And, and um, some kind of higher power needs to be somewhere. And or it's power. Very good, it's yeah. a very good start. Yeah, power other than myself. Other than me. Yeah, Bill, it, but it's 12 a, and 12, Bill says, use the group for the group. a while. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if, if someone is argumentative on the question, they can talk to someone else. I mean, I'm just not interested in that. Exactly. Uh, it's a waste of time. Um, <laughs> But I know, I mean, there are, I have been at meetings where someone has talked about their conception of God, and I wanted to pull them inside and say, you're crazy. That is a stupid way of understanding anything. However, you don't say it's that. none of my business. And I, I but I, if, if they want to outside the meeting, talk about some stuff, I'm happy to, and there's things to read. Right. Um, but it's, it's, uh, uh, there are a lot of sober alco alcoholics and addicts who are atheists and agnostics. Exactly. And I had I had this fellow. He was a young man. He was a very zealous evangelical Christian, uh, and he he was just he demanded an answer. He said, "How can atheists get sober? Yeah, this is impossible. You know, it can only be through Jesus." He cried, Oops. and Oops. and I listened to him for a few moments, and I said they get sober because God is generous. Mm -hmm. That's all. And, and I'm not going to argue this with you. Yeah. Um, and as far as uh, I had one fellow, taxi cab driver, San Francisco, alcoholic with a tiny crystal meth problem. <laughs> 
and I tried, um, uh, but you know, it, we, we just did not connect at all. And I, I, I told him he needs to find a taxi cab driver in San Francisco who's clean and sober mm-hmm. yeah. because he was, he, we, we were not making the connection, but he wanted me to fix him, you know, and I, right. well, I, I told him there was nothing I could do. Um, and, uh, and it was very stressful. He's now got seven or eight years in recovery and he's doing it because he found another meth head who That's was true. clean and sober in San Francisco. Yeah. So thank you, God. Uh, but there's a, some people, it's just not a match. Um, there was someone else. We were just so different in our understanding of higher power stuff. It didn't work. Yeah. Again, we were talking past each other. Mm-hmm. No one's fault, but it just didn't work. And she just stopped calling and that's okay with me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Uh, did uh, uh, coming back to Lisa? Any further comment or question about our responses? No, that nope. I think that's very helpful. That's good. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah. Well, your principles, your principles workshop. Is that on your website? It, it's not on my website. I have a YouTube channel, and um, on there there are several playlists. I begin to learn the te- the, the vocabulary. Um, and that's about as far as I can say. You, you'll you find it. I'm pretty confident. Okay. And if okay, you don't, you. email thank me you. and I'll help somebody help you. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for this wonderful workshop. It's been great. Um, you know, when you asked in the beginning uh, why we enrolled and why we want to be here, you know, of course, I want to be a good sponsor and make a profound difference and help you know, convey jewels and wisdom that can help people, not just in their recovery, but in their life, obviously. Um, you know, one of the things I struggle with is I've, I've probably made my first 20,000 mistakes early in life. And so I kind of have a, a lot of answers, you know, because I've done it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard for me to not give unsolicited advice. Mm-hmm. Then uh, to complicate that further, I was in an Al-Anon program that was sort of a group that was sort of boot camp, you know, like we're, we're big book, we're, we're boot camp and sponsors kind of owned you, you know, and my sponsor would call me every day and say, Diane, who's not going to do it your way today? You know, and she'd say things like, I want you to shut up, you know, like, you know, six months was shut up, which was actually pretty useful for me because those were things that actually made a pretty pivotal change in my life because yep. a lot of what I was doing was in my husband's face, like what you should do, what you, you know, and she's just like, you know, let's cut that out. So I'm just, yeah, you know, <laughs> so I've got kind of a double whammy here and then, yeah, you know, I want to be the kind wise sponsor, but um, what, what do you guys recommend here? <laughs> Tom. <laughs> A hundred thousand Al-Anon meetings. Yeah. Um, a lot of things are none of my business. A lot of things I don't know. And uh, I really do have an opinion on everything, but most of it is not worth a conversation um, in, in anything. Um, but yeah, I, I, boy, it's, it's sometimes just hot. There were times I just could not shut up. And the more I talked, the worse it got. So there's nothing wrong with some silence or just to say, I don't know. I mean, Louise Penny, um, who is who writes murder mysteries in Canada, and I like her a lot. And she has her older cop um, uh, working with younger cops who are kind of damaged. 
and and so there are four four sentences for wisdom. This is not Al-Anon literature, but it's very good. Um, I was wrong. I need help. I'm sorry. I don't know. Nice, nice, yeah. I think I as for those of us who know everything, I mean, Herb and I have been to school a little too long, <laughs> and and let me tell you, we can we can talk without knowing anything for an hour because we have been in those circumstances. But I was wrong. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't. Um, whatever the other one was, it just it really helps. Yeah. The, um, the I think Alanon has a set of questions that they say pause and ask yourself. Um, uh, am I the one to speak? Um, uh, if I speak, is it the truth? Is it the time? And there's a there's like four or five different questions that are really like if you actually pause, uh, you probably will stay silent because the questions will confront you on the motives, as you indicated, or your intentions. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a. Tom says he doesn't recommend books. I recommend books all the time. <laughs> There's a book by Rami Shapiro called Loving Kindness. He's a, uh, a, a Jew. He's a rabbi, and uh, he's in a 12-step program. And uh, he brings uh, that combination to this wonderful book called Loving Kindness, and that might be uh, helpful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Hi, Herb. Hi, Tom. Um, Great to be here. Why, you asked the question in the beginning, why am I here? I'm, I'm a food addict, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a black belt codependent. Um, and I, I first came into recovery over 20 years ago because of my codependency. And it took me years to realize that I wasn't the, that I was, you know, I was such a victim. I, it took me forever to realize that I was also the food addict and the alcoholic. But, um, why am I here? I, I wrote a couple of little things. I just wanted to say, I, I want to be useful. I want to share and help others. And I'm, I, I just am finishing up working this uh, Monday, Tuesday night with you, Herb. And, on, and I'm, I feel like step 12 is really about living or learning or something. It's really about living this way of life. This is like, I just, I just feel like maybe it's becoming integrated into who I am now versus, you know, today I'm going to do step work tomorrow. I'm going to go back to my life. <laughs> so Bill calls it our way of life. Yeah. Integration. Life. Integration is the right word. And I like learning and living. That's a nice combination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, the, you know, change when, what I do also know is that change is always happening. It's always happening. And my experience in recovery has been, it is either the light is either going up or it gets dark. Yeah. And I just don't want to get dark anymore. Right. I, don't, I want to stay out of the darkness That's and true. I want to stay awake and I want to stop trying to fix myself and I want to stop trying to fix other people. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, right, he's yeah. got my flag out. <laughs> That's right. Yep. And I, I think sometimes, or especially lately, since we've done this step work together, 
I feel like sometimes I just need to wait 24 hours or maybe I need to take a nap. <laughs> you know, uh, I just, um, so anyway, I, I do want to stop trying to fix other people. Uh, you know, when I think you, I, you've shared before, Herb, that, you know, as you get older, you make so many mistakes along the way that you just learn a lot. <laughs> and so when I interact with younger people, it's like, I want to go, whoa, watch out. You're going to fall off the cliff, you know, but then sometimes you just have to, I wouldn't have learned them if I hadn't gone through them myself. So finding that in, in sponsoring, especially I'm sponsoring a young woman who she's celebrating. She's 42. She's 40 years old today and I'm 72 and I want to tell her how to do everything mm -hmm. and it's not going to work if I do that. So Anyway, uh, one of the reasons I like going to meetings is I learn from other people's experience, which means I don't have to make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's also each year of recovery gives you one more second of response time. <laughs> That's right. You know, That's right. so you, you don't have to say yeah. in Narcotics Anonymous, they say first thought wrong. And, and sometimes we don't have to say anything. Yeah. And I think the, the Al-Anon about wait, why am I talking? I've heard why that. Why am I talking? Why and I don't talking? pick up the grenade. That's another Al-Anon slogan. Oh, that's very yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. It's great to see you, Tom. I used to live 30 minutes from El Rotero, and I, I did multiple workshops with you and Terry both. And yeah, I, yeah, nice. I'm nice. not close anymore, so it was great yeah. to see you today. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Um, I have a, I have a few questions. You guys could, I, I wrote them down and gotten longer. So, um, one, how do you know when that your own house is in order enough to be a sponsor? Is there any numeric period of sobriety that you should have before you take it upon yourself? Um, two, do you go page by page with your sponsees? Um, I never three, have. um, okay, there we go. Three, do you, do you give advice, recommend other literature? I think you guys have covered that Four. Um, do you set time for sponsees to call, call them, or let you let them call you? I think you guys have different practices, but if you want to comment. And Father Tom, do you recommend a book? Could you recommend a book to me on St. Ignatius Loyola? I've never read about him. It intrigued me what you said. Huh? I know you don't recommend books, but. Yeah, there's stuff on him. Um, I'm trying to think of a name and my mind is blank right now because of my 74th year, but if it comes back, I'll let you know. There you go. Yeah. All right. and, and in terms of time, if you have um, some sobriety, you're welcome to help somebody who doesn't have any time. Of course, it's better if you've worked some of the steps, especially four and five. That's the, the profile. If you haven't read the two paragraphs on page 18, it could have been named two paragraphs on sponsorship. It wasn't, but uh, read those two paragraphs and it's a profile of sponsorship. And one of the keys is that you've learned something about yourself. Uh, and I, my sponsor translated that as fourth and fifth step, but there's no rules here. If you want to help somebody, help somebody. And whether you have one day or one decade, just, but try to, try to, share what you have, what you know, what your experiences is, as Tom was saying, so that they can identify with that and you're not overreaching. Don't be her, be Sam. Yeah. 
Um, also, you know, Bill and Bob, uh, one spoke and the other listened. Yeah. And then the other spoke and the other listened. Yeah. And then they met AA guy number three. I mean, they they were inventing this by the seat of their pants. But the 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 human contact is really very helpful. And the um just to have someone be glad to see you, you know, is is amazing. And some young people, not young people, some new people, when they come in, they don't feel very lovable. And so any kindness goes a long way, too. That's also so important. That is just so. And and that respect that you talked about, Tom, that is just so important. And that non-judgmental openness with no, not the judgmental and or the, as Tom was doing this when the other lady was uh, talking um, I, 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 you talk, you asked the question about page by page, and I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. I know there are sponsors who sit down and read the book with, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I, that's I, and that really works for some folks. I, I don't, uh, know. Yeah. I told one fellow that he shouldn't ever get married again. Other than that, I don't give a lot of advice. He's tried it eight or 12 times. I think he's done. Wow. Uh, yeah. that's a, that might be crossing a line. You know? that, that's making uh, dating very formal. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but I engaged a step guide, and many times that's the role I play, which is I give assignments in terms of steps, looking at the big book, and then I, I ask them to finish this. Then we'll sit down, and we'll look at the assignments, which will be sometimes the page or the paragraph or even the sentence and the word. It's, it's not a, a, a rigid going through each of the pages. So. Uh, but, but as Tom just said, everybody finds their own way. I knew a guy who sponsored a guy who didn't know how to read or write. Uh, and he literally read each sentence to this man who was uh, uh, not able to read and write. And this man who was leading the man through the steps actually did the writing of the man's fourth step. And then, I mean, obviously it took a while, but this then the man who couldn't read or write uh, had a spiritual awakening because he did finish those nine steps that way. Wow, and that's way above my pay grade, I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then a a set time again, that's uh, a a personal kind of decision that would never work for me. I tell people to uh, call me when they can or even better, email me and set up a day and a time that we can talk. And whether it's five minutes or an hour, it depends on what the subject is. Um, I'm not here to be their parent and I'm not here to be their therapist, but I am going to listen and be a sounding board and share my experience. Tom? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sam, anything else? No, that's it. Thanks, guys. Great program. No, that's yeah, that, that, that's getting into the details of sponsorship, which is really, you know, what Tom and I hope to accomplish here. Everybody's comments and have elicited from Tom and I our experience, and they've shared their own. It's been wonderful, and, and we continue with that. I had a nice, clean question, but now I cannot resist um, a, a comment. Would it be, oh gosh, my screen got on this. I am aware of a really great book about um, 
it's a comparison of the 12 steps to the spiritual practices of um, St. Ignatius. And if it would be okay, I would put that in the chat. Would that be all right? Sure, wonderful. Father, Father Jim H. Jim Harbaugh's book, yeah. That's good. That's yeah. A, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he compares the, the spiritual practices to the 12 steps. That was interesting. Now, here's my question. Yeah. One of you mentioned being letting people not call. If someone calls you their sponsor, yes, and they never ever call, yes, or maybe once a year, yes, they've been sober a long time, they're fine. Are you okay with that? Yeah, it's not my business. Yeah. Yeah, it's not my business. Resisting temptation that you're not doing your job or should have done something. I'm staying not. sober and I'm answering the phone. What more do you want, Angie? Yeah. You're what? <laughs> I'm staying sober and I'm answering the phone. What more do you want? Yeah. Okay. Yep, right. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And and I've never terminated a relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I, I, they terminate it themselves. I make suggestions and some of them take it and some of them just go away. Now, I have been criticized by people I respect who, who say, Herb, you're doing a disservice because they have the delusion that they have a sponsor, but they're not following direction. I go, that's not my business. Yeah, it's not my business. Yeah. yeah that's a great, a lot of things are none of my business, Angie. Mm -hmm. It's just such a relief. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. It, it, my own spiritual director said, Herb, Herb, you're so task-oriented. He said, you're responsible for the effort, but the results are none of your business. It was like, oh, my God, what a relief that was. Yeah. Angie. Thank you. And I hear people, I hear so-and-so is your sponsor. I say, who? I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Um, yeah. Nobody knows who I sponsor. Yeah. I, I don't tell anybody. And I don't tell my sponsees who I sponsor. So if they know it, it's because somehow they found it out. I didn't tell my wife who I sponsored. Yeah. Now, if they left a message with their name on the voicemail, then of course she would know that. But nobody would know that from me. Uh, there are some, uh, this might be a Southern California thing, I'm not sure, and I try not to be critical of you Southern Californians, but I've heard that some people, you know, I'm so-and-so, I have this much sobriety, and I sponsor this many people. Yeah. And then they'll give their, and my sponsor was sponsored by so-and-so, sponsored by so-and-so, who goes, so it's apostolic succession, you know, to the original <laughs> 100. Oh, yeah. Everybody goes back to either Bill or Bob. Yeah, and I... I and, well, quite frankly, it uh, it is prevalent in Southern California, and I don't agree with it at all, but I also don't make comment about it publicly. Other yeah, I don't either, but I, but I notice it. I notice it as yeah. strange behavior. I also do not approve of the 10-minute coffee break in an hour and a half meeting in Los Angeles, just so you know. I think that's wrong. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I actually like it because- and you're it, wrong, Herb. You're wrong. I, I don't mind being wrong. <laughs> but I also like the idea that people have an opportunity to mix uh, and, and connect where they might not come early enough or they might not stay afterwards. But I do respect your uh, opinion, even though you're from Northern California. Yeah, yeah. So I exempt you. Yeah. <laughs> and you clap too much, too. But that's another issue. Go on. <laughs> it's a happy seal.
I'm in Al-Anon and uh, my sponsee has uh, revealed to me that she is um, alcoholic and attending AA, um, which I, you know, support her in that. Um, and a while later, she told me that she was uh, comfortable with just having one sponsor and that sponsor being me. And I think I had enough recovery to tell her <laughs> that um, I wasn't okay with that because I have no experience, strength, and hope to share with her because I'm not an alcoholic. Um, and I'm just, and I know, I think I know enough to, to bring out the duct tape uh, to keep my mouth shut and, and as far as sharing her journey um, through AA, is there any input, advice you well, could I offer me? The heart of your question, it's a, I think it's an excellent uh, question and topic is multiple sponsorships in multiple uh, programs. Now, I personally think, personally think that there is room and reason for more than one sponsor, but I don't believe there's any sense to having multiple meaning over like two or three, because I don't think the program's essence is, is that difference. There is a difference between alcoholic and Al-Anon. There is a difference between an alcoholic and a food addict. There's a huge difference in terms of the, uh, from my experience with it, uh, from, from some of the protocols that are necessary to understand changing patterns of behavior and uh, managing whatever that addiction is in whatever way that is recommended. But having four different sponsors because you're in CODA and you're in under Earners Anonymous and you're in Overeaters Anonymous and you're in Al-Anon and you're in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's kind of like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Because the steps mm -hmm. are the steps are the steps and the spiritual, the spiritual malady, the unmanageability is the problem. The addiction is a problem, but not the problem. And so I come at it from that standpoint. I don't have any, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, I have no rules and regulations about it, but I have a recommendation that, that you not be too um, dis disparate in your uh, connections with um, sponsors and with programs, quite frankly. Is that answering your question? Um, just to be open-minded um, and hear what she has to say as she's working through the steps. Um, well, if you're not an alcoholic, it's probably best that she have an alcoholic sponsor. Okay. Father Tom? Um, I want to keep it real simple. With Terry, I mean, he's, he's both, he's also the adult child of an alcoholic. So, so most of my craziness, <laughs> I can deal with, with one sponsor. That's the best. Yeah. yeah and that, that's best. And there are, there are sponsors in more than one program, but for purposes of simplicity, um, you know, you, you, you talk to people. Well, I don't know. Uh, my experience is one has handled it for me for a long time, yeah. but he's, he's been around the track a couple of times too. So, um, 
so I'm an Al-Anon and my sponsee um, started attending AA. Uh-huh. And so, um, and she wanted to settle on one sponsor, me. And my concern is, you know, I don't have experience, strength and hope. And so let her know that. And, and when she tries to throw AA stuff at you, you can say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it admits your limitations. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Like my, my experience with my uh, taxi cab driving meth head. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, and some, um, I like the idea of, of calling different people for backup and support. I, that, that expanding your network, I think that's a very good idea. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I had a experience with two separate sponsees over the past three years with um, they get to a certain point in the steps and then they stop working the steps and it, it usually starts with them canceling like our, you know, biweekly uh, meetings and then they're, they're not really willing to do whatever assignment I have given them. And they, and they kind of do that for a few months and then they usually relapse. Mm -hmm. And that's happened with two different women that I've worked with. And I worked with them for over three years each. Um, So, you know, you get, you develop a bond and a closeness, but then they get stuck on something. And it's for me, both of them were stuck on the eighth step. (laughs) um, You mean they wouldn't do it? Yeah, like they didn't want to make the amends and they and they didn't want to write the list, right? Because it's really, they were too afraid to make certain amends that they thought they had to make, but they hadn't even written the list and talked about whether or not they even had to make them, right? Sure, sure. so you might want to revisit step one to see if in fact there's any desperation and visit step two and three to see what they really believe and trust in a power other than themselves because they're obviously not motivated. Eight and nine are the two most difficult steps. Um, eight, making that list, is, is re- it's very confrontive. I mean, yeah. we're, we, we create, we're, her- we're tornadoes in people's lives. And, and when we write out the list, it becomes very concrete, the chaos that we've created. And it's very confrontive. So, I mean, this is not a walk in the tulips. Um, and it might be they need to just revisit steps one and two and three uh, to reconnect with why are they doing this work in the first place. But again, people leave. I I lose over half of the people in the workshop in the fourth step because it's hard work, number one, and it's hard to to see and to accept, number two. So... It's just what is, and it sounds like you might be a little more attached than you might want to be. Yeah, I definitely, uh, my sponsor and I talk about letting go and they have their own higher power because, you know, I worry about them like living (laughs) because, you know, people go out and then they die. Like it's a, it's a reality. (laughs) why Why are you worried about it? Well, I mean, you know, I just care about them and I don't want them to die. <laughs> no, I understand. But I mean, do you have any control over any of that? Yeah, I definitely don't have control over it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, my, 
In Al-Anon, I think they have a term, release them with love, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. and I have another question with regards to, um, I have a sponsor who constantly calls me and asks me about life things, yeah. like uh, not about the step work, sure. but just like, how do I deal with, you know, her car doesn't work or her, mm -hmm. uh, how does she fix her thermostat or, you know, it's like a, it's almost a like people, a, a lot of people need some basics in terms because they haven't learned it uh, either at home or in life. And, and so, but we're not their parents. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, like, I guess, where's the line with that stuff? Cause sometimes I've because I, I suggest she call other people and ask them those questions right. um, because I don't want to be, first of all, she, it helps her build her network. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm also like, I don't want the mother role like uh, with, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Some of the questions that she asked me right. and, um, and I feel like it's not very healthy or something. Yeah, you know? that's, that's when I ask them what's practical, what's possible, what's simple. Yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. You know that 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 might even apply to getting the water heater fixed. You know what's practical, yeah. what's possible, what's simple, and a lot of things I have no opinion on. Yeah, yeah. So I I try to stay out of the mess. Yeah. yeah. If you if you take on the lens, I try to have the lens of can I be helpful, but I'm not going to be your parent. Yeah. I'm not going to be your life coach. No, that's that's not my role. Uh, but I can share some experience. I mean, I, I resolved a very difficult relationship with my wife at 18 years of uh, marriage and seven years of sobriety. I, I resolved it. And I can share that with somebody who's having marital problems. I share my experience with things that I know about. Is there like a certain like phrase you would use when they start doing that and when they start asking those life questions that you would use to kind of um, yeah. let them know, let them know that I'm not the person for that, or I don't really, I guess I'm thinking of like terminology or something. Yeah. I think you want to be more spontaneous and authentic with them. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. If you want to help and you have an experience, but if it's outside the area that you want to help in, or you have experience in, just be very clear with them. Yeah, like I definitely have the experience in most of her questions, but it's just a... Uh, well, I, I like your idea of putting her off onto other people so she broadens her network. <laughs> I like that. That's mm -hmm. a wonderful, mm -hmm. uh, expanding her own personal fellowship mm -hmm. and resource base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, guys. You're welcome. Um. Thank you. Um, hi, Father Tom and Herb. It's so good to be here today. Um, um, I don't know if this is the correct venue, but if it's not, maybe you can direct me to the right one. I'm, um, as I've been in this workshop today, I'm um, aware that um, I have trouble letting people sponsor me. Um, I've had three sponsors and I don't have a sponsor at this time. Um, I do. I did get a step guide because I'm participating in the Sunday workshop, Herb. Um, but I don't have a sponsor, and I'm trying. I don't know um, the part of me that's broken or damaged or crazy. How do I unravel that to get to a better place with sponsorship? 
What are you expecting with the sponsor? Um, I don't know. Well, what is the problem? Um, you think that's the problem? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't find it. Yeah, so sometimes a sponsor, I mean, is just like having a lucky rabbit's foot, you know. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just someone who's there that makes you feel a little less anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're not good sponsors are not gurus, although you wouldn't know that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not they're not seers, they're not prophets, they don't know the future, they're not uh infallible it's another dr bob talked about being another alcoholic trying to get along which is a a lovely democratic small d phrase it's someone you can spend time with and someone who's safe safety is big someone you can trust someone who keeps confidences um those are important qualities for me um and i know several priests who as sponsors had people who were agnostics or atheists sure. because they had an honest conversation with them about stuff. Yeah. And I found that very interesting. So it, it might not be someone who looks like you, yeah. um, but it is someone who's safe and, and, and listens well, but again, it, it's, they're not, it's not Moses, you know, you're not looking for Moses. You're looking for another human being. At the same time, they have some knowledge and they have some experience. Some experience. They've been around the track a couple of times. I love the word safe. I think it's a critical component. Yeah. Yes. You you don't don't, uh, uh, go into business together. You don't have sex together. You don't loan money. You know, this is these are things that are explosive. Uh, You don't want to be dating your sponsees. It's a very bad series of decisions if you do. and and or family members or family members or um or going into business with sponsees i mean it's crazy making so we we have a single uh, um primary purpose yeah and when we focus on that it simplifies a lot of things there you go yeah yeah i think it's the part about um trust actually trusting other people yeah. Like um, in the workshop that we're doing, you make a decision to trust God, but I don't think that's applied. I mean, I don't see how that transfers over to making, like, I don't think that many women are trustworthy. Well, you don't have to have a sponsor as many women, just have one. Yeah. A lot yeah. of men aren't that trustworthy either, but some people are trustworthy. My wife. Um, they keep my confidences. Wife. They keep their mouth shut. They're they're respectful of boundaries. It's my turn, your turn. I mean, they're 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 human beings. Yeah. And some people are not. A lot of people are very damaged when they come into the rooms. Right. Right. Yeah. These are people my, my that. Wife, yeah. My wife said, "Trust is earned. It's never given. That's and right. it's earned by consistent behavior. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Pay attention to their feet. Listen to their words." but pay attention to their feet. Yeah. yeah, I watched Terry for three years before I knew I could trust him. There you go. Yeah, yeah this is, this. the workshop has been helpful. I, I came because of the combination of this uh, dynamic duo uh, to see how that would be. And um, this uh, awareness came up in me. So um, I'll just see how that plays out from here, but thank you all very much. Yeah, thank you.
last year when you did this, you said something that really had a big effect on my sponsorship of others. And you said, you don't work any harder than your sponsees do. And I hope I said that correctly. I, I got the concept of it. Um, and it, it involved, you know, not chasing, not, you know, uh, it, it's self-evident, I think. Um, one of the things I always do is have my, anybody who wants me to sponsor them, I have them read that pamphlet on sponsorship. And the most important thing I see in that pamphlet is the part that says the sponsor and the sponsee are on the same, we're the same, we're equals. And um, I think that's so important. I was wondering if you could uh, offer any resources for sponsorship. And then my next question is kind of a tongue in cheek one because I've never seen this and there's probably a good reason for it. Are there any meetings out there for sponsors, just sponsors? I haven't seen that and it's just kind of yeah. uh, don't interesting know, to me. I don't know of any meetings. Um, uh, for sponsors in the same way that you're asking the question, but I do a monthly step guide sponsor Zoom call that has been formalized now uh, the first Monday of every month um, for uh, at 11 o'clock uh, West Coast time uh, till 1230. And if anybody wants to know more about that, just, uh, well, you'll be receiving an email now that you're registered in this, you'll automatically receive uh, a, a notice about that meeting for the very purpose that you're talking about where other people are sharing their questions and or their experiences with sponsor and step guide. Uh, I, I make a distinction because that's just my history. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. But if anybody has um, any information on a quote sponsor meeting, uh, then they could put that into the chat room or somehow communicate that to. One of my biggest disappointments in the pandemic was not being able to go on the South Pacific cruise with the dynamic duo, as you've been called today. Uh, one of the things that I find also is a, uh, uh, an issue or a problem with the pandemic is that one of the biggest sources I've ever had for trying to find people to help is through going to face-to-face -face meetings. So in the early days, as I understand from reading the history, if I went to a meeting and there was a newcomer, uh, I might walk up to him and say, hi, I'm Roger, I'm your new sponsor. And the person didn't know any better to know that maybe he or she, he should have a, a say in the matter. Right. But yeah, but as the program tells me, I need to find people to help uh, from Bill's story. And you often quote this in, in your presentation that if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through work and self sacrifice to others, I'm not going to survive myself. Right. Uh, yeah. So it reminded me that when I'm trying to help other people through sponsorship, I don't think I've ever seen any situation when I haven't been helped more myself. Mm -hmm. It always benefits me. And every time anybody ever sits down and we have a conversation and they want to talk about an issue they have, it seems inevitably it's something that's been, something that's been bothering me, something that I've given some thought to, something I've been thinking about. Um, doesn't mean I give ever give advice. I also got reminded in our conversation today of maybe the first recorded 
um, uh, meeting that uh, Bill and Bob went to see Bill Dodson, A number three, the man in the bed. And Bill Dodson is, is um, said to have said, well, this is the first time ever that people didn't tell me what to do. Right. They told me their experience, right. what they used to be like and what happened. Yeah. And he went from there thinking, well, yeah, if guys like these guys could do do it, then probably there is some hope for me. Yeah. And, and I think that has many, many, many uh, lessons in it, that very uh, clear picture, the man on the bed. Number one, Bill and Bob uh, were a duo themselves and reached out. They went to the hospital. They went to the jails. They went to the asylums. That proactivity is something that we just don't go to meetings uh, and wait for somebody to ask us. Uh, I don't think um, telling somebody I'm your sponsor is literally the best way to do it. It might be. It's worked in many cases. But uh, being being proactive in bringing a, a message, but the message wasn't a preaching. The message was, this is what I experienced in terms of a problem and a solution, and then let the person identify with it. So that, that particular picture has many, many lessons and models in it. Yeah, for sure. When I was talking about telling somebody you're their sponsor, it reminded me of when I first came in the program, it took me about five years before I could get up enough courage mm. to ask somebody to be my sponsor. I thought, who would want to try and help somebody like me? Mm. So there are people like me out there, mm. and it works sometimes for sure. The other thing that typically I think is a good thing to do is never give your phone number to a newcomer. Give his phone number and call them up that, because that, the newcomers yeah. definitely don't call. For sure. Uh, yeah, if, other... if you want to help, you, you might want to reach out to them and see if they want help. That's a wonderful suggestion. Yeah, one thing when that lady prior to me was speaking, she asked about a, re a resource by way of a meeting. Typically, yeah. you tell people about Hamilton B's book, right? Which, which you recommend as one of the best, as best resource out there. In terms of a description of both how to be a sponsor, and quite frankly, he has a section on how to be a sponsee. Yeah, it's one. Yeah, and specific things. Yeah. And the other reason you, you, you've been talking recently about Rabbi, Rabbi Rabbi Shapiro, mm -hmm. he has a couple of books also specifically in relation to a 12 step program. Okay. All and right. he talks about how our fundamental problems of all our all the addicts is wanting to be God <laughs> and talks about the, the big book saying we have to first quit playing God yeah. and give up that control. So it attracts me as a sponsor when somebody asks me for advice because I feel like I want to give advice and I feel like I know everything <laughs> and I want to play God, but, but for sure for me, that's not the best approach to take. Well, it's a wonderful yellow flag is up, caution. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Herb. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Tom. Um, Herb, you said something that gave me pause. I come out of a big group where everybody knows who sponsors, who uh, we have sponsorship families. And you said you do not tell anyone whom you sponsor. And I'm curious about that. Do you feel that that's a deleterious thing in sponsorship to 
let um, that be known or, or maybe some reasons for that? Well, it's, it's none of my business to tell other people who has uh, asked me to, for help. I think that's the anonymity, the spirit of anonymity. Now, as Tom mentioned, there there is uh, uh, some movement uh, in some areas for quote legacy meetings where the sponsors and the sponsees get together and they talk about their grand sponsors and their lineage. <laughs> I I have an opinion. I'm not going to express it, or maybe I just did. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Right, but what what is the deleterious effect? Is it just uh, it's violating a, the principle of anonymity, or well, it could be that, or it could be that it becomes like a club, and it becomes inclusive rather than it becomes exclusive rather than inclusive. And uh, so, I I see a lot of benefit from it. My own daughter has a. Uh, she's 30 years sober in AA and she comes mm -hmm. from that kind of structure where they, they have uh, regular meetings with sponsors and sponsees and she finds it very helpful. And I, I just don't, that's all. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I avoid that kind of the, the cult of personality is uh -huh. the term I would use, which obviously reveals to you what my opinion is about it. <laughs> Thank you. Tom? You're muted, Tom. Not nothing on that. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Hi, Herb. Hi. I tell you, uh, it's just an amazing thing to be here with you this evening or this afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Yeah. Um, I just say, uh, my name is Greg. Uh, I'm a grateful glutton, and I'm so grateful for this yearly check-in, Herb. This <laughs> is right. all good. I'm so grateful. So here it is in a nutshell. I, as a sponsor, find it difficult to keep my emotional ties, my emotional self from being involved mm -hmm. in my sponsees. Yeah. Some sponsees, I could care less. You know, I'm there to do the work. Thank you very much, dear God. But other times I find myself emotionally drawn to this person. And the only thing that has helped me disassociate, detach from that, I'll give you the solution and you can comment, is to think of my sponsee as a different age, as a younger age than they are, and how my sexual or emotional ties to them are inappropriate. Mm. And that gives me hope. That gives me something to do in order to gain aesthetic distance so that we can be available for the work. That's all. How do you detach Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, you're very practical. You, you found a way to, in fact, detach because you see that attachment is not going to be helpful for you or for them. I, I think it's, I mean, I, Tom has come in and made a very simple and single comment many, many times. He said, keep it practical and keep it simple. Yeah, if it works, I'm a very practical guy. Does it work or doesn't it work? Does it help or doesn't it help? Mm -hmm. yeah. And if I find myself worrying about somebody a mm. lot mm. i've got some work to do in terms of, of letting go of this because i'm getting all uh they might be triggering my need for drama or trauma or mm. oh one more trip to the emergency room how close we are and and that might be a craziness mm. yeah mm -hmm. i don't stop and get mixed up 
Yeah. Oh, he hit the nail on the head about drama, huh? <laughs> so here it is in a nutshell. Uh, Mary just kicked my chair. Mary just kicked my chair, and she said, "Tell the man I still love it." <laughs> so there you go. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and 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 everybody, what everybody's talking about is 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 waking up, staying conscious, fostering our consciousness. That is the awareness of our feelings, the awareness of our surroundings. And the more conscious we are, the more competent we will be in navigating this thing called life. Yeah. This has just been awesome today. Nice. But I feel you left something out that I've heard you say before that really sat me in my seat about sponsorship. You said you're starting a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that just gave me such hope mm -hmm. because I haven't been very good at having relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And I, I've had to come out of myself and say how I feel and say what's happening to me and allow other people to be that way with me. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm, I'm on the earth that I'm part of it. And um, so for 70 years, I wasn't. And just listening to you say that about you're going to begin a relationship. Can you say it for us? Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because yes, that, that is how I normally start a lot of the workshops because the word spirituality for me is kind of fancy and sophisticated and I've replaced it. Spirituality is a wonderful word, but I've replaced it with the word relationship. It's equivalent. It's a synonym for a relationship with life aka power if you will god if you will it doesn't make any difference to me but life a relationship with life and a relationship with myself and a relationship with others so this whole process is about our relationship yeah thank you so much for inviting that comment yeah yeah no, you thank don't. you so much thank you tom would you like to make any closing comments um, I think the end result of any good addiction is isolation and um, uh, despondency and a lot of frozen everything. And in recovery, we learn how to um, say hello to people and make connections and, and start thawing out a little. Yeah, yeah. And I think this was very helpful for that. Just, uh, yeah. um, you know, I, Zoom has been a great thing. I mean, I've been really happy with it. I have a couple of friends who hate it and won't, and they're, I, I don't try to change them. I just let them be miserable. I've, I've really <laughs> been happy uh, to do this. And I've been able to connect with some meetings in Jerusalem yeah. and in um, uh, Pasadena, exotic places. And, and uh, in Stockholm, I'm going to be doing something in Stockholm. Even Iran, I've talked at a couple of meetings in Iran, uh, which are women and men in recovery. And this is such a good thing. 
Yeah, I'm, the, I'm very grateful. The real benefit has come out with the Zoom in terms of the mm -hmm. upside of uh, this development. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, um, my. Uh, First step guide had a wonderful phrase when I came to him and he asked me how I was doing on my ninth step. And I said, oh, I, I'm really, I've, I've done nine of them, I'm nine of the 30 that I had on my list. And he said, oh, gee, that's wonderful, Herb. When is the last time you made one? I said, a month ago. He said, well, what's the delay? And I said, well, uh, the promises are coming true. My life is becoming full. It's just, I mean, I'm just so excited about it. He said, he said well, I said, but I'm willing. I'm willing to make those amends. He said, Herb, willingness without action is fantasy. Mm -hmm. oh, 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 I'm telling you, cold water in the face. That woke mm -hmm. me up. All right. Willingness without action is fantasy. Sponsorship is about action. Here. Mm -hmm. Put this up again. Who is coming to help them? We are the one they are waiting for. Becoming a lantern and lighting the path. Bill Wilson had a wonderful comment. I think, no, it was Bob, actually. He said, a life of love and service. Those are the two words. And Tom's used them regularly throughout our conversation today. Keeping it really simple, keeping it very practical. Love and service. And then Bill himself said, Equally as simple and as practical, we keep our head in the clouds and our feet on the ground. Our head in the clouds in a practice of meditation on a daily basis, improving our consciousness. And our feet on the ground, very practically and simply, how can I help? How can I help? The prayer of St. Francis. I've changed it. So I've taken his name off of it, <laughs> even though we didn't write it in the first place. But I've changed it just a little bit. You'll see in the last line, made it very practical. Please join me to stay awake and to transform and then to be a lantern, standing by the path, shining the light on the path so others can walk the path and themselves become lanterns ad infinitum. Lord, make me a channel of your peace that where there is hatred, I may bring love that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, it is by dying, and here's the change, that one awakens to life. Amen. <laughs> not eternal life. I'm not one bit interested in eternal life because I have no idea about that. I have an idea about this life, and that's where I want to have my feet. <laughs> so everybody, thank you so much for joining us, for your participation. I hope it, you found some parts of it that were useful to you. 
Tom, any uh, any other comments? Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. I'm always glad to hang out with desperate people. So it's nice. Thank you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Keep in mind, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous are the outpatient ward of the psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. <laughs>